Hello, welcome. Nice to see you. Well, not really, but we just got this dachshund puppy. His name's Carl, and every now and then I hit him with a Carl. Nice to see you. You can name that movie. I'll give you 100 high fives. Today, we have mountain running expert and OCR pro Taylor Turney joining the pod. Taylor is an endurance coach with Redox Running and has recently released a mountain program with Yancey Camp. You should definitely check that out. But in this episode, we talk about how to strategically improve your agility for better downhill running, how to manage your load for training your uphills without losing your foot speed and running economy, and also kind of how to balance out your, your full training program with strength to make sure that you are improving as an OCR athlete while improving your mountain training. All right. And also just want to remind you guys, we have a fresh contest dropping on Friday's episode. So please stay tuned and join us for that episode with my friend, Josh Reed. Exciting things coming. All right, here we go. Taylor Turney. Taylor Turney, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing today, man? Oh, great, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So we are going to do a deep dive on some mountain training and how you can implement that into your own training to get better for these races that most obstacle course events happen, you know, up and down the mountains. But first, I'm curious, if you had one superpower, which one would it be? Ooh. Oh, man. Superpower. Uh, I mean, it'd be cheating, I guess, but I got to say like speed, like dash, you know, just like the ability to control like my speed up and down mountains, man. I just love to fly even faster. <laughs> like speed, like the flash type of speed, or would it just be like a little bit faster than the person in first place? <laughs> so it like didn't seem ludicrous. Fla- flash type speed, but then obviously I'd have to control it to make it, you know, seem realistic. <laughs> Yeah, you can't just be blasting. It's like, see, how time today? it was two seconds. Did you see that yeah. sandbag segment? <laughs> Unreal. I don't know. That might, that might be a sport. I don't know. <laughs> One time I, I dressed up as a, like, there was a, a local Halloween 5K in, like, my neck of the woods. And it was the the winner got 100 bucks and first costume 100 bucks so i bought a shirt that was like the flash shirt and that's literally what i wore and like with some red tights and i won the race and then when they were going to give the best uh the first costume i was expecting a double dose didn't get it they said no dice on that <laughs> and, and in retrospect it was actually kind of a a, a douchey thing to do <laughs> but but live live and learn um, so you mentioned you live in a straight up cabin in the mountains, essentially, right? Like, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. I knew you were in the mountains. I knew you, you live in Alaska, but how, how did you come, uh, come to live in a small home in the mountains? Yeah. So, uh, so we live in Anchorage, which is actually, it's Alaska's largest city. Um, it feels very much like a normal city if you, if you haven't been there. Um, but we have, I've always liked having easy access to the trails, which I always have. But uh, last fall, um, we were kind of uh, renting a kind of a normal space uh, in the city uh, next to some good trails. But we were like, really just like, man, it'd be nice to be in Anchorage, but not feel like we're in Anchorage. And so uh, there's this little corner of Anchorage called Bear Valley, uh, which the name's fitting because we have lots of bears up there too. Um, but the, uh, 
it's it's like really tucked like as far into the mountains as you possibly can get. So Anchorage is at sea level, but we're at sixteen hundred feet, which is is pretty oh high God. up there. <laughs> That's still considered Anchorage. Yeah, yeah, it's it's part of Anchorage. Um, and so yeah, so there's uh, it's a pretty interesting little area. There's like one little road going back there, uh, a mix of houses, uh, really large extravagant houses, and some really small homemade cabin type things up there. And we found this uh, little cabin for rent. It's a little over 400 square feet and um it's got a loft <laughs> and um yeah yeah and and it's it's we love it i mean we had t- we had talked about you know going tiny house and stuff for a while and this is kind of like that the perfect in between to still live in in anchorage in a normal house but have it be compact and be right in the mountains Right. That's what I was thinking. If it was actually a, a, a tiny house, what would like, how much smaller could it be? Like it, what is the, what, what dimensions does it need to be to fall under a tiny house or does it, or do you have to be able to like move a tiny house? I, I you know, I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think dimensions wise, it, it, it does count as a tiny house, but when people think tiny house, they think on a trailer and this is a, uh, on a foundation with running water. I mean, we've got a two year old, we, we have electricity, plumbing, all that good stuff. Um, but it's just really small. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a small normal house. Yeah. not a yeah. 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 yeah Cause that was the thing. And I, I know that's definitely, it's not an East coast thing. Tiny house. That's not, something that people would find desirable so (laughs) you know it's not really a thing up here either but uh we were we were into trying it i mean it sounds like you have a a really cool and that was another question i was going to ask but i was like oh let's not be cliche but i was going to ask you about bears (laughs) in alaska (laughs) but you live in bear valley so i'm guessing you guys uh um navigate that fairly well Um, yeah well it's funny because i've lived here my entire life besides a couple years stint in college and I've ran these trails and there's, you know, there's bears all over the place, but I'd actually never really run into a bear. Uh, I mean, you see them far off every once in a while um, until this week. And this week I've seen two bears. No uh, way. And my entire life, I've never ran into bears on the trails like this. And, and I've seen one on Monday and uh, in my neighborhood, just running around the neighborhood loop. And then another one uh, yesterday, just on the, the normal trail system. So it's pretty crazy to me <laughs> at a high frequency this week. Now, are you guys readily trained on how to handle a bear encounter? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty common knowledge, uh, I guess, living in Anchorage. Um, but there's always resources and stuff out there. Like my wife just uh, went on a webinar just to kind of refresh uh, how to best. <laughs> yeah, just like earlier, a couple of weeks ago, actually, just to refresh, like, okay, what if I actually see a bear? What should I do kind of thing? But yeah, it's it's uh, if you're running regularly in bear country, it's just good to to know what you're going to do. So you don't freeze in the moment. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's like when you renew like your driver's license, you have to pass the the bear safety protocol. <laughs> what do you do? Like, so I would have no idea. We were told when I went to like sleepover camp in ninth grade to just get big and yell at the bear. Um, I don't know if that would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it kind of, it, it depends on the bear. So there's uh, brown bears and black bears. So black bears are smaller, a little more timid. Um, and so if you see a black bear, that's actually what you do do. You you stay looking at them. You look big. Um, first line of defense, though, is you. no matter what, you just always have bear spray or a gun. There's a big debate on which one to have, but I've always been comfortable with just bear spray. And uh, and then, yeah, if it's uh, black bears are mostly what you see. Uh, you just look big, look at it. Don't, don't ever run from a bear. That's like the number one rule because – uh, in general, they, they like to keep their space. They like to 
you know, they're not trying to come eat you <laughs> uh, for the most part. But if you run away from them, from them, you can trigger their uh, predator instinct. So just never run from a bear. <laughs> and then in a, a black bear situation, that's what you do. And then in a brown bear situation, if they're if if you tr have mace and a gun, like obviously you might try have to use that. But with a black or with brown bear, you don't try to scare them off. You just you hold your ground, and if they come at you and there's nothing you can do, you you play dead until they're bored of you. So, damn. Yeah. <laughs> but hope, hoping to never experience that in my lifetime. <laughs> never to see that that brown bear. Oof, yeah, that'd be would be really rough. And did you yeah. see black bears recently? Was that what it, what they were? Yeah, they're both black bears. Uh, oh, the first one was pretty little. Um, it was just in a neighbor's driveway, and I just turned around and went the other way. Um, and then the Yesterday was a bigger black bear, but he was also he was going the opposite way of me on the trail, and I just kind of slowly walked behind him until he meandered off trail, and I was just kind of yelling, making sure he knew I was there. Yeah, I think there's black bears everywhere, right? Like there's black bears oh. in like New Jersey. <laughs> we we oh, yeah. can't have black bears around, so yeah, it's good that they can be scared off. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when we when we are able to race, um, what is your favorite race venue? Ooh. Um, so far, it's been the the Whistler. Uh, it was my first time doing it last year, but man, they that mountain uh, in in um, the 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 mountain course on on the the ski resort there is just absolutely beautiful. And since we don't have a uh, Alaska Spartan race, it's the most similar kind of terrain and stuff to what I used to. So I very felt very much at home, and uh, it was just awesome. Lots of cool uh, single track coming down rocks and roots. Um, coming down the mountain and big climbs. Uh, it, it was just stunning. So that'd have to be my favorite by far. He did really well there too, right? Didn't you take a uh, uh, second place in, in both? Yeah. Races? Did win one? Uh, um, I was, I was second to Ian um, in the sprint. So the sprint was actually the mountain series race. And I was uh, there. The last obstacle was the monkey bars and I was getting on the monkey bars as he was getting off them. And wow, then nice. there was a dunk wall. So I was super close there. And then the second day was a super, and I think I got third that day. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was a great weekend and I was, I was absolutely loving my, loving it. Yeah. The home course, you got to claim it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like home course to me. So I, <laughs> that's what I'll call it until, until we get an Alaska race. Right. That'd, that'd be something. I, I would come out to the Alaska race maybe, sweet. but it would be that's cool. What, I bet. Yeah. It'd be sweet. I've heard that a lot. You know, I'm going to try to convince them to come up here. <laughs> <laughs> See if we can pull some strings. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. So who is like a role model that you have, but that you've never met? Ooh, that's a, uh, you know, I'd say I have to say Killian Jornet. Uh, mm. He's just he's just so down to earth and and genuine, and um, it just seems like he really shows kind of the love for the the process and just playing in the mountains versus being all about racing and all about the competition. Which that part's equally as fun, but you got to love the process and and just and just living the lifestyle if it's going to be um, you know long term and, and enjoyable. Those type of people who are in it because it's just for the love, it's, it's, it is really cool to see. And they're just in the mountains because they wouldn't rather be anywhere else. And that's something that I, coming from a road background and track background, like it was always competition. It was a like competition time mm -hmm. training for this specific thing. And a lot of my friends and teammates who I ran with, they end up falling out of running because it's, you know, it's not something desirable. They would rather do something else. And until I got into OCR, I found that like, oh, there's people who just do stuff 
because they like to do it. Where <laughs> I'm, I'm like trying to like do everything about training. And I figure this all out. Where people are like, nah, just cool. Just going in the mountains and and crushing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how we started out too. Though is when when I was in high school, I didn't love running. Um, I loved competition. I loved racing, and I was always you know, just trying to get as fast as I possibly could. And uh, very similar. And I I think uh, my first Spartan race is kind of actually when I like started to like feel the difference between just training super hard because I wanted to be successful in running versus just actually loving the experience of, of training. Uh, cause up in, you know, running a fast college 10 K, like there's very few people who like truly enjoy that in the moment, you know, it's, it's afterwards. You're like, man, that was a great race. I'm so mm. glad I did that. That was so hard. And it's, uh, it's like that enjoyment afterwards where it's my first Spartan is like, I was pushing just as hard as I had in a college race, but it was actually fun. <laughs> and that's, that's so funny you say that because I had those exact thoughts like just this past spring. Well, just now, like I've been training more for faster stuff because that's what I have available to me. And and thinking about the the process of doing a 5K, I was doing it so that at the end I could then say like, here's my time where like, it's not like that at all in optical course racing or even like in mountain trail running. It's like, you go out, you enjoy it. And like the time is never something you really bring up. Like, I don't think I know any of my OCR times. I know all my track times. I know all my road times, right, right. but yeah. it, it I think is it's an interesting cool. shift. And yeah, I think me it's too. Really cool and it, you, you get to, uh, when, when you're competing, then you're just competing against the person next to you and, and trying to get the best out of yourself versus, you know, staring at your watch the entire time or trying to hit certain splits. And because all the courses are different and uh, weather and all these variables affect how fast you can actually run. It's like, yeah, the, you, you really can't go off the time because it's, it's not going to mean anything. It doesn't matter. And it's interesting if, if you have in a collegiate race, say you do run, you know, 14 20 in a 5k but it was like a rabbited 5k you just hung on for dear life and like you were 10th in the race and it's like the race of your life but but you just hung on you almost didn't even race it you know like yeah. there is no real element of that like you you ran a 14 20 but you didn't really race any part of it maybe like you probably had to but in ocr like you can't do that like you have to race you have to be in it and and ready to handle whatever comes at you so that when things change, you're able to adapt and adjust. Right. It's totally different. And that's, I think that's part of why it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more, more enjoyable in the long run. Cause you're, you're focused on the people around you, the terrain, your effort. And it's, it's a lot more, um, there's a lot more thinking involved. You can't, you can't check out <laughs> in, in obstacle racing or, or mountain racing when you're having to pay attention to the trail and, uh, your footsteps and all that stuff. You're not just on a track, you know, running like a hamster. <laughs> right. And it, it makes the training more, more enjoyable too, because it does pull you out of the, the time and, and metrics and, and, and hitting it hard and needing this result because then you can kind of do things that are a little bit different. You get to do things that you enjoy a little bit more and it makes you have perspective, like someone like Killian Jornet, who's just going out there to have fun and just happens to be competitive at the same time or, and then like, it just makes that a reality where when you're training for the track or the road, that's not like, I don't look at Galen Rupp and be like, Oh, he just loves this. Like he would be doing this anyway. (laughs) Like he probably wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine if there was no races, he would just be running that hard on the road. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) But someone like Killian, he, he probably would be in the mountains, even if there wasn't races. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. That's a good answer. So, um, all right, we, we did a, a quite a convo there, but tell everybody a little bit more about who you are as an athlete and a coach and kind of what you got going on. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, right now I'm a, I'm a obstacle racer, a member on the Spartan Pro team, and a, a mountain runner. Although for for my travels and competitions, I typically just um, all my mountain running is around Anchorage in, in Alaska. It's all local because we have uh, incredible competition and some really cool races up here. So I don't usually travel for those. And then uh, for Spartan races, I usually focus on because travel from Alaska's. Uh, usually pretty long and uh, expensive. <laughs> I usually only travel for the series races or the the races that really really excite me, um, so that I'm not traveling, you know, too much. And I also have a family at home, so I got a two year old uh, at home. He's a blast, a wonderful wife, and um, yeah. So we we live in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, we already talked about that a bit. And uh, for work, I'm a civil engineer. I uh, work nine to five. And so it's, it's kind of a balancing act, um, <laughs> trying to, you know, train to be a, you know, semi-professional athlete, um, working full time coaching, and then trying to be, you know, present with my family. Cause can't, can't do all that stuff and ignore them because they're, they're kind of the most important part. So I'm doing this all <laughs> so I can be with them and support them too. So. And I think the, the, your scenario is probably more relatable. No, it's definitely more relatable to the common OCR athlete, because we're all kind of in that same type of place, like juggling a bunch of different things. There's very few people in this sport who are out there training full time. Um, right, right. And, and many people, many coaches, they're, they're, they're doing coaching with the full-time job kind of for the same reason, for the love of the coaching. Um, but also just to help, um, essentially fuel their, their training and their, their racing. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, that's, that's really what coaching is for me. It's I'm, uh, I would say I like my job. I'm, I'm grateful for my job, but I'm passionate about coaching. I, I love helping people run faster and, and kind of helping them learn the process of running and how to make it long-term and sustainable. Um, totally. And yeah, you've been in a, you've been at, in the game for a long time and, you know, being out in, in the mountains at 60 some hundred feet in, in Alaska, you, when you show up to these races, you show up to the ones that are mountains. And last year you got second in the mountain series um, behind former guest Ian Hosick, who was, you know, fifth at um, Tahoe. So um, really stiff competition out there and you show up and you do tremendously well in the mountains. And so that's something that I really want to dive into a little bit when it comes yeah, to, uh, training and how you're helping people get better at them because that, that seems to be a place where you excel. Um, yeah, just, just quick clarification. Uh, I was sitting in second place in the series until the very last race and Matt rock actually edged oh, me out. That's, so. that's right. <laughs> so overall in the series, I got third. I just wanted to <laughs> thank you. Thank out, you. But, thank you for the yeah. humility. You could have, you could have just owned it. And I, only Matt rock would have been like, what? <laughs> Matt rock, like Jack, Jack Bauer probably knew, but yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So, and, and one place where I know that you, you excel really well in uh, are the descents. You know, whenever we race in, uh, uh, together, we end up pretty much next to each other, <laughs> just like, no matter <laughs> yeah. what. Like, I'll yeah. see you out there. And I know you do really well in the downhills. So when it comes to downhill running, where do you kind of, what's your stance on how to improve on that? Do you find that it's more of a skill to develop or is it more has to do with like training load and volume? Um, I definitely find it as a skill. Um, it's, it's, it's got a lot of, uh, it's very different from your fitness. Cause I'd say, and a lot of people that I'm racing against, uh, you know, you and, and, and other people on the circuit, um, 
<laughs> sometimes I'm racing next to people who I would say are fitter than myself running wise, but because of the technical aspect and the skill of downhill running, I'm able to catch up and, and, and kind of use that um, to put myself in contention. And so uh, definitely find it more of a, more of a skill to build. And the cool thing about it though, is some people like, Oh, some people just have it and some people don't, but I think, you know, I think every aspect of, of running and obstacle racing is trainable. Um, and some people, they, you look at someone and say, oh, they're a natural at it and you don't think about the background they have. And so, um, when you think, when you think of people like Johnny Luna Lima, um, the Ryan, uh, Kempson and mm-hmm. some of these guys who just really bond the downhills, they're like, oh man, they're just so natural at it. Like I'll never be, I'll never be able to do that. But if, if you really look into their, their training history, like Johnny Luna Lima was a high level soccer player, um, Kempson was a multi-sport athlete. And I think you see that in, in mountain running and obstacle racing, a lot of the fast downhill runners are guys who have multi-sport backgrounds. And I'm actually falling into that same boat. Um, earlier in high school, I was doing football, soccer, wrestling. I actually didn't get into running until my junior year of high school, really. Hmm. Um, and so just looking at that, it's like, well, why, why are these multi-sport athletes so good at the downhills without having trained for them before? And it's because in their training, like how they're training for their sport, you're training lateral speed, agility, uh, balance, foot, uh, foot speed, and all, uh, drills, all these things that, you know, run, you don't go to cross country practice and do cone drills. Uh, <laughs> you're not right. doing speed ladders. You're not doing those kind of things. And so if you take those sports, you know, they put in years and years of, of training those aspects and then they, get into running later in life they'll, they'll, yeah they're they're natural the the downhills because they can kind of dance and and move around and skip over the rocks you know for sure and uh also another example is a co-host who we do shows on friday josh reed he was an extreme sports athlete he's a bmx biker so he has mm-hmm. like that kind of proprioception and he da- ha- doesn't have the fear of like death in him so right. he'll, he'll <laughs> that but, helps too <laughs> right. um but there's also you know, that's also kind of plays in, into the same thing that people will kind of fall into that bucket and be like, oh, well, you know, Ryan Kempson's a great athlete and has this athletic background or Johnny Luna Lima is a high level soccer player or someone like yourself. You know, he lives in the mountains. He, he goes up and down us all the time. He has multi-sport background um, and they kind of chalk it up to that to almost to experience that people have. But this was learned at some point. So say right, you have somebody right. who who's coming from none of those things have just been removed from it for, you know, 20 years. Uh, what are some ways that you can help develop that kind of skill? Yeah. So I think there's, I think there's two parts to it. So most people, and, and, and this is, it's very true. It's not wrong. A lot of coaches say, you just got to go and practice the downhills. There's no way, way to get better at downhills than, you know, running technical downhills, which is true. Um, but the, you can build the kind of the physical like foundational blocks to running faster downhill out like not on the actual downhill and so like if you think about running on a technical downhill there's a lot of side to side jumping foot placement uh the downhill pounding and so you can train those things uh before you get to the downhill so that when you actually do practice those downhills you you're a little bit better set up to handle it and 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 improve on it faster so like um so doing speed drills, uh, plyometric jumps, side-to-side stuff, um, really training the eccentric kind of um, component of like squats or, or deadlifts or jumps, hmm. um, depth jumps, things like that. Um, you can condition your body to handle the downhill. You can train your legs to, to have you know, side-to-side uh, and like reacting speed and agility. And then when you go and practice the downhills, you're going to get further because you're 
when you, any, any movement is a signal from your brain telling your, your leg what to do, even if it becomes instinctive. Right. And so if you've practiced jumping your leg out to the side, you know, on a little, on a speed ladder over and over and over again, then when you're out practicing on the trails, if you have done that beforehand, then your body is more comfortable with that movement. And so you're going to have less of that fear factor and, and more capability, uh, when you actually go to do the, do the, the downhill running. Hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like training your neural pathways so that it becomes easier and it's, it's not something you're really going to have to think about as much right. by, by conditioning yourself to, to like, know that you can do that more yeah. or less. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this might be a stupid analogy, but say you're trying to like throw a football at a target really far away. Like if you can't throw that far, then you can't, practice the accuracy at that distance right and so you have to train your ability to throw the football far enough to hit the target and then you can work on the other part so in downhill running if you don't have the physical capability of of doing that Mm. then you it's going to be hard to go out and practice running downhill really fast because you might hurt yourself you you might your legs might not be able to handle the pounding and so um you can do it gradually. You can start out with easier hills, shorter hills. Um, but everything is a progression. You always got to have some sort of uh, piece before it to get to the point where you're running fearlessly down really steep technical terrain. You can't just jump into that immediately. That's a good analogy. That's, you know, it's like being able to squat your body before you squat the barbell and being able to squat the barbell yeah. before you squat 45s on each side. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I never, really, thought of, I never really thought about running, like running downhill as a skill that way. Yeah, I mean, it really it can almost apply to um, anything you're trying to get better at. <laughs> oh, totally. And like breaking it down this way, it is it's interesting because yes, it is like okay, you have some technical trails, go do them, um, because there there is a, such a low requirement of skill when it comes to running flat. You know, you just mm-hmm. and and really m- pretty much every running coach is oh to get better at running, you need to get you need to run more, uh, which again, like you said, is true, but you need, but that could even be broken down to a li- to a bit more skill and movement in particular. Um, but for down, downhills even more because the, the, the impact is exaggerated and there's different factors that are out there. So like when you talk about the ladder drills, like I, I played some ball sports, but never anything where we would do ladder drills. Um, mm-hmm. I've, so I don't really have too much experience with that besides what I've looked up in, in, in more recent years to kind of play around with that. So how does that look? Mm-hmm. Like what exactly is like a ladder drill? Um, so, I mean, they, um, I mean, usually you have to have some sort of marking on the ground. So, uh, the typical ladder drills, it's like a, a ladder or like a rope ladder that you, you know, lay out on the ground and maybe like two by two squares in a, you know, in a ladder. Um, and it, like you pick like some sort of foot motion, like say you're going to step in the box with both feet and then out of the box with both feet and then move up to the next rung. And then you do that all the way down. And so anybody can, you know, walk through those step motions and then as you try to get faster and faster, it's really you really lose the the coordination and the ability to keep doing that. And so, I mean, just like any skill, uh, through practice you can get a lot quicker if you just try it over and over again and try to work up the pace. And uh, I think it's important when you're practicing um, ladder drills or any type of agility drills is that you're responding to something external, something that you see. So just like a rock on the trail that you're trying to jump over and avoid. You're not just <laughs> dancing your feet back and forth in free space. You're looking at the line and you're placing your foot accordingly, right? And so mm-hmm. um, that's that's why having the the ladder or or you can tape it out on the garage floor or whatever. Um, but you got to be responding to something that you see because that's how you you build the uh, kind of the foot and eye coordination. 
Right. There's got to be, there has to be a visual and re- reactive component to that because a lot of the downhill trail running is, is reactive. Like you, you, there exactly. is, you, there's no, no hard predictable path when you're going down a trail as well right. as we know it, like things might be different. So yeah. I, and I get that it's it, cause it's easy to kind of go out and just be like, Oh, I'll just kind of skip around. <laughs> and like, <laughs> there probably is some sort of merit to that to help the coordination of things. It's probably better than nothing. Yeah. If you want the full thing for the full visual component, I agree that getting, getting one of those ladders is probably a good call. Yeah. And with, with that, like the fitness component can be trained by any type of plyometrics where you're not doing the reactive part. Um, so the physical skill can be built just on the the motion and, and training the neuro pathways but uh the skill side of it you need to be reacting to something visually mm-hmm. and 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 the eccentric loading is a pretty smart way to do that how you mentioned just you know going working on the lowering of a squats or a deadlift because that does kind of Im- exaggerate the muscle damage that would be happening during much like a downhill running because because you can end up extra sore from downhill running, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and um, and and that's one where I think practicing on the hill uh, is, you know, when you get to specificity, like a, an eccentric squat, it's going to help a little bit. And that's I think that's most important kind of in the foundational block to just make sure that your knees are tracking well um, and you have the strength to handle it. But it's, it's still not very specific um, mm-hmm. tempo-wise and everything to running. And so – for the physical aspect, it's good to make sure you have, you know, good, uh, good motion, good knee tracking, obviously through the exercises. But then after that, you really do want to try to practice the downhill running to condition yourself um, to that eccentric pounding. Because you you could be, you know, really great at, at tempo squats and all these things. And then the first time you run a hard downhill, you're still going to be sore for days. <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like doing doing squats and then all of a sudden doing lunges. Like you'll probably still be sore from the lunges, even though you've done so many squats. Just like yeah. changing the mechanics even a little bit will right. will create some sort of muscle damage you're not used to. Yeah. Um and cool. So now that you've kind of taken these two different parts, like the the skill with the reactive training, doing some sort of agility, some eye foot coordination, and maybe you put on some strength stuff as well. Um, mm-hmm. just in, in that foundational phase that you mentioned, and now you're ready to like hit it. Like you have some downhills to go on, like go to. So when in, in programming something like this or, or a, fitting it into your own training, how do you manage that type of intensity? Is it go until you feel that you're like kind of shot or do you have some things that are really structured or is it just go to a hilly course and just run it? I mean, there's, there's a little, I don't structure it out too much. Um, I mean, for, for me, like I, I just like practicing running fast when I'm out in the mountain. So I don't, I don't get to go out in like a true like mountain trail, like every single day uh, with my work and family requirements. And so for me, it's just like, whenever I'm out there, I just like to have fun on the downhills. Um, Mm. So it's kind of like it's based on what you have available and when you're able to to get there. But um, as far as like getting used to, if you've never really done downhill running and you're really trying to improve it, I would. It's kind of like your first weightlifting session. It's like go and do it, but do it. You know, maybe sixty percent of what you could have on that day. Because if you go, you know, hundred uh, percent all out on on your first downhill experience, even though you might have a blast that day, you're going to be hurting for a week um, it, it lasts a long time. And so, uh, really just like hold yourself back, uh, a little bit that first day, see how you respond, see how, uh, kind of, what kind of doms you get, uh, delayed onset muscle soreness, you know, and, uh, 
And based off of that, every time you do it, you, you adapt to it pretty, pretty quickly. And so if you take it really easy on your first one, you'll feel a little bit of soreness. The next one you can go uh, a little bit harder and you're probably by your third or fourth time, you're, you're pretty well conditioned to just go out and, and hit any uh, hard downhills that you want. And, um, and, and then, then, then it's just like, then it's just the practice of it, but really be careful with that first session, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Like I made that mistake for sure. Several times. Cause even like, then like your feet aren't even conditioned. I've had it where my feet start burning really bad and mm-hmm. just everything feels awful for, for a while. And I, I've definitely made a mistake of loading up too much too soon. So to get, to really improve that. So you don't really structure much as far as like go out and do six by two minutes downhill. No, um, I've never done really done downhill repeats. Um, I think there could be a time and place for it, but for me, it's, it's, um, so usually my more mountainous lo- uh, runs are during my long run. Cause that's when I really have the time to get out, like really get out and explore the mountains. And, um, really for me, it's just about letting yourself get comfortable with it. And that means like almost every time I get to a downhill, I don't, I don't try to run hard. I don't say, Oh, I'm gonna hit a tempo effort on this. I'm not going to hit it for a certain time. I'm just going to try to flow as, as freely and easily as I can, hmm. uh, whenever I have a, a decent downhill. And, um, and so for me, usually that's, that's at least every weekend with the long run. Um, sometimes I have hillier runs, uh, you know, midweek, but, um, I mean, if you're, if you don't have easy access to, to mountains, I mean, you can, once you get used to it, you can really kind of maintain your durability against those hard eccentric contractions, you know, with a really couple of hard downhill runs, like once every two weeks, I realize you don't, you don't have to be doing it all the time. I mean, obviously if you're trying to get really good at it and specialize in it, you may be doing it more frequently, but if you have a mountain race coming up and the only real downhills you have are two hours away, uh, you can build up to it with, you know, uh, every other weekly session where you hit it really hard, you allow yourself to recover. And, uh, and if you have that stimulus, you know, two to three months out of your big race, you'll be able to, to maintain that and not get completely destroyed on race day. I like that uh, approach because yeah, it doesn't take that much to maintain once it, once it's built. And like I said, I know I I've kind of gone overboard and some athletes that coach have gone overboard that as well. Like when they're on, they go on their easy runs, they can make it hilly and they hit the downhills hard just to, to really try to improve on that. And it, it can really cause some structural damage. I've had some really tough bouts like within my quads and knees and they all, they all kind of get wrecked. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess as far as like weekly scheduling, it, it's best to add in a day where you do have planned rest afterwards. Um, so if you, you don't want to do it, you know, a day or two before a really important interval session, because you're, you're not going to be able to maintain the quality. So that's the other reason why I like it for a long run. Cause typically people, you know, they rest the day after their long run and they ha- have a couple easy days at least before their next real hard session. And hmm. so, um, that's why I, I think that's a good time to practice it, but yeah, just making sure that it doesn't affect your, your other important sessions. Um, just kind of treat it like, I guess, like, uh, obviously the long run aspect. Um, but also like, I guess treat it like a hard weight session. Like when, when would you place a hard weight session? Cause that's kind of the s- similar damage you might feel after a good downhill session. Right. You can't be expected to hit intervals the day after uh, a weight session, unless it's planned to not be at max capacity or max effort. Right. But yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. And I like, I like the idea of working it into a long run because then it, it can kind of take place of, of some quality in there and, um, 
really get a good bang for your buck as opposed to having like, you know, Tuesday intervals, Thursday downhills, and then, and then trying to fit in some others like OCR specific or speed workout. It seemed like it'd be like a lot of quality and a lot of kind of beat down. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, um, this again, I'll speak for myself personally last year in, in big bear was the first time I ever came any across any type of mountain that steep. And I was mm. just dominated by that type of, a really steep elevation. And I was like sore for days after that. And, and mostly because of the ups, I wasn't even able to really hit the downs that well there because it was so steep and just kind of, mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared. Um, so on the other side, like when training to go up, how, how does that change your, your philosophy as far as like load and volume uh, when, when training for the ascent as opposed to the descent? Yeah. So the uphill is, um, it's really cool and, and it it trains um kind of your it's almost the opposite uh whereas you can work really hard on your uphill training and it's going to be a lot less uh pounding and uh kind of like the impact on your legs and so that's almost like the the hills are kind of the best time i think to get some of your really hard quality work for the week um not only because it's specific to many any uphill races you have but you can do you know 10 by two minutes, really hard uphill, maybe training like a VO2 max type session. And you're like, you're, you, it's really fatiguing overall. And you're getting a really big training, uh, training for your, um, I guess what's, what am I trying? You're getting a really big bang for your buck. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. <laughs> endurance wise, like that's a great endurance workout, 10 by right. two minutes, no matter where you are. Right, right. But then the the difference is that, you know, if you're on a, a decently steep grade, you're working really hard, but you might be only going, you know, 10 minute miles. And so the, the impact on your, your legs and feet, even though they're working their hard is actually pretty minimal. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a big bonus. And so, um, but actually, as far as the, the training between the two downhills and uphills, uphills is something that I, I really am working on because relative to the guys I'm running with, my uphills have actually been a weakness. And so that's part of why I moved to the mountains too, is so I can have the access and, and really work on them. But um, yeah, I think it's best placed in your your hard quality days. I mean, hill, hill repeats, they build strength, they build fitness, um, and they're low impact. So in terms of your own training, how, because we mentioned before you know there's hard it's hard to know like like how well you're improving when it comes to ocr in general mm-hmm. and unless you have a race out there to see how you're stacking up against people who you thought you might not have been had the same climbing ability um what are some of the ways that you you've been able to measure your improvement when it comes to hills yeah so for me i i mean my favorite way is to find a, an uphill trail nearby that I really enjoy um, and, and have time trial efforts. So kind of like find a standard trail that you have easy access to that has, you know, pretty consistent conditions at different times of the year and, and just go give a good time trial effort on it. Um, uh, I've also used a, a treadmill uh, time trial. And if you mm. use the same treadmill in the same conditions, um, that can also be a great back um, marker. But I just, <laughs> between the two, I mean, which one's, going to be more fun if i have on the schedule you know time time trial near point which is a a short fun mountain uh in anchorage or time trial you know the 15 percent uh incline for 15 minutes like they're both going to be hard they're both going to give us great information about your fitness but the treadmill sounds miserable and the mountain i'm going to go have a blast so (laughs) 
the, that fifteen fifteen test is just brutal. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it's so rough. It's awful. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good. It's really good. And 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 Yancey and I use that, um, especially if you don't have access to you, uh, an uphill trail nearby. Like it's a great fitness marker to see how your climbing uh, training is going. But it, it is tough. It's mentally mentally really tough. Yeah, you can blow yourself up so fast. Like the first five minutes, like there's not really recovering from it. You have to, if you're off pace a little bit, you got to go way down and it just uh, yeah. <laughs> completely screws it up. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, would you take things that were generally like that you would be able to do on flats? Like you mentioned VO2 intervals, which you would, which would help prepare like your overall you know, lactic tolerance or like a tempo run, which would be like 20 minutes plus or threshold, which would be, you know, seven to 20 minutes, just in the language that I use. Um, mm-hmm. Do you just kind of take all those runs that you would have on flats and just put them on the hills? Or are there specific ones that you like to do that you found ha- have moved the needle the most? Um, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I think it's, it's good to have a variety. Um, you don't want to, it's good to put all of the sessions that you mentioned, the, the, the threshold, the tempo, the VO2, even, even speed work and efficiency work, um, like power, like short 30 second to one minute intervals. Um, it's great to put all of those on the Hills. Um, as kind of a rule of thumb, if you're, if you're more, uh, susceptible to injury, maybe you have a long history of road and track running and you just seem like every time you run, you know, fast intervals on the, on the sidewalk, like you get injured. Um, it's a great way if you just move most of your inter- work, interval work to the Hills. Um, but for me, it's, it's usually based on race specificity. So if I mm-hmm. have a, a flat race coming up, then the intervals that are most specific to that race, I will do on the Hill. So if I've got a, if I have a one uh, a mountain race coming up that's going to take in the area of one hour, then I'll do my lactate threshold intervals on the hill um, specific to what I might see in the race. And and then I'll do some of my other kind of supportive like speed work um, or steady state work uh, on the flats. Um, and if you've got like a really short vertical kilometer, like max power, then you might be doing some of those, a lot more of those via two max intervals on the hills leading up to that. And then leave your you know tempo work as kind of a more, uh, flat steady state session. So I think it's good to mix them up because um, even though hills build great strength and fitness all around and they will improve your flat running as well, if you move all of your intervals to the hills, uh, you're going to lose some running economy and some leg turnover. Um, and so it's important to not lose uh, that piece as well. It's, it's really important to keep um, that, that speed and leg turnover up. Um, so, so yeah, and I, I think if you uh, you never want to leave one component out. It's really good to to find a balance. And so, yeah, just using the most specific to your upcoming races um, as as your hill work if you've got a hilly race coming up. And I think that's true. It's a good point to bring up because a lot of times training for OCR, what I found, it just kind of boils down to what's intuitive. And, you know, if like you're bad at carries, like carry some heavier shit around. But like <laughs> in this in this sense, it doesn't make sense to always do everything in the mountains because yeah you might get slower <laughs> like you might right. lose some of those things if you're always right. running slow mm-hmm. there needs to be time where you are working on, on that economy and i think that's a great way to do it is to put the, the tempo stuff on, on the flats just to help yourself get into a rhythm help yourself with pacing help help with just that and, and then you you won't fatigue your legs as much so you can probably hold a steady state a little bit longer so right it's a good point then- it's a good way to balance it yeah. And then later in the year, let's say that you're, uh, you, you know, Tahoe, like a, a two hour plus hilly race, then you might move, uh, when you get to there, you might move your 
threshold work to, you know, rolling up hills with some long uphill climbs and then do your speed and efficiency work on the flat so you can maintain that, that efficiency that way. Um, so it really kind of, yeah, depends on your, I guess, your upcoming goal and, and just switching it up so that you kind of have new stimulus. I love that. You can like flip it, right? Like you're preparing right. for something that is going to be a two hour effort. So make your longer race specific bouts on the trails on the hills where, and, and still keep that speed. So you're still doing flats because I, I found that it is helpful to not always be doing elevation because mm-hmm. it, does, it just beats you up, man. And, and, and trying to measure the two and, and counting. And so you need to take a break from it sometimes. Yeah. Um, and actually just on that note, uh, I, we had kind of talked about like, how do you compare, um, how do you compare your training volume uh, when flats versus hills. Um, and so something that's just, uh, this isn't scientific or come out of any book, but something that I've just found that works for me is that every 5,000 feet of elevation gain in my training week, roughly, uh, equals 10 miles of running. And so if I have a 50 mile week with 10,000 gain, then that would be, uh, the equivalent of a 70 mile week if I was Hmm. running all flats. And so that's just, it's just like a, a ballpark thing that I've noticed um, over the last few years that uh, effort wise, because I kind of know how, how uh, a week, like a volume feels to me. And that's how I've kind of uh, figured it works best. I think that's awesome. I've never heard, and that's great. That's like, yeah, I'm glad this isn't in a book. That's why I, so I wanted John so I can hear something <laughs> I've heard before. So you're saying 5k equals about 10 miles? Yeah. Yeah. Just effort and time wise for me, um, just how I feel after training week that usually works to be, to be pretty close. Yeah. I like that. And I think that's a really cool measure to go about. So yeah, that was a question that I did have about managing this volume because some of the questions that I run into is like how much, well, on on both ends, the people for running on the roads, like how many miles do I need to run to run a Boston qualifier? It's like, well, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Like, depends on what, what, who you are and what you got. And, and same on the other end. It's like, how many, like, how many kilometers should I be putting in? How much elevation should I be gaining to get ready for the beast in New Jersey? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same kind of thing. And, and, and people either want to do one or, or the other. So how, how do you kind of go about measuring that type of, of volume? Is it just kind of in accordance to that formula? Like if, and just kind of being in a specific spot, like if you were wanted to run, 70 to 80 miles per week, you would use that formula one way or another, or how does that kind of work? Uh, You can do that. Um, I think for, so coming from a road track background, like everything was miles, right? Right. How many miles are you running per week? That's, that's just everybody uses miles. But as I switched more to the, the mountainous efforts and OCR training, I really found that time was a better measure of volume. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how much time are you spending out on, on, on your feet? Uh, Because like, without without that kind of equivalent equation like it's really it's impossible like if you're going for miles you're always going to go for the flatter miles or like if you're trying to hit 80 miles a week that that's going to be really tough if you have a lot of mountainous miles and if you don't know how to compare them it can be really uh not motivating to to get out and and explore the trails if you're like well i'm not gonna be able to hit my weekly mileage and so um for me i I use that that uh equation more as just a comparison tool to past training um, but as far as like scheduling my future workouts, I, I do everything by time and effort, mm. um, because, you know, pacing doesn't matter when you're out in the mountains, uh, and miles really doesn't matter out in the mountains. Cause if you're, you know, doing a really cool seven mile mountain run with a bunch of elevation gain and some scrambling, you might be out there a few hours, but 
on paper, like seven mile run, that's, that's a, you know, a normal or easy day. Uh, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, that could have been your longer, longer, harder effort for the week simply because of the, the time and effort it took. So as far as like, uh, when I'm coaching my athletes, uh, I really like to, to go about, you know, go do a 50 minute run. And then even the intervals are time-based because then it doesn't matter the terrain you're on. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter um, where you're at. You're just going out for a time and an effort. And that's a, such a good point and something I need to continuously remind myself. It's like time is, is really a thing and the effort that you're putting in for all aspects and not just for the running. So when you when you are plotting out volume in uh, accordance with time, are you separating like – the time spent running versus the time spent doing other things like strength and mobility, or is it all lumped into one or do you break those apart? Um, they're broken apart. And, and usually like if I'm, if I'm, uh, planning like a pattern of, of, you know, volume increases and, and decreased over, you know, the next training cycle, um, the time is usually for the aerobic training. So, um, aerobic running and cross training whereas the 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 weight training although it's definitely uh you know more stress and more training uh, i don't really put that into the time equation um although you obviously consider how that affects how much time you can do the other training when Mm -hmm. you're adding in a certain amount of strength training right and it's it's not apples to apples right so it's like all right i trained 12 hours eight of it was strength training it's like that's that's gonna translate to the course like i don't know what that's gonna do for you right right um cool and then when you in those instances because the 10 percent rule is awesome when it comes to miles like the old like Mm -hmm. like the previous week that you had add 10 percent to that to slowly build up when it comes to time or in um or elevation is there anything that you you kind of follow as, as far as that or is it more just how the person's responding, how you're responding and just kind of slowly building up. Yeah. I mean, it, almost any, any kind of training, like you're, you're going to respond to an hour weightlifting session different than an hour run. Like you, you already pointed that out, like there are different stresses. And so, um, I really, it's based on how the person is responding to the training, uh, because, you know, some people can handle, you know, three or four hours a week of strength training, depending on the type of whatever they're doing, uh, per week in their background, and uh versus someone else who's maybe has been a runner their entire life and you know they they're just getting into it and so um every person responds differently um they have different backgrounds and so um it's really about balancing um the the components that you need for what your training goals are and then what you can handle healthily because if if you're doing too much aerobic training to really um make any improvements in your strength like you're you're <laughs> Uh, just putting way too much training volume and you just can't handle it, then it's not, it's not going to be beneficial. And so uh, if you're a road runner, that's, you know, you just need, you know, the, if you're a serious road runner, say like a, a marathoner, um, strength training is obviously very important, uh, but really you're just doing just enough to stay healthy and balanced that will support mm-hmm. your running versus OCR where we really do need to, you know, train to pick up a sandbag and carry it up a mountain and, and do uh, grip obstacles and carry your body weight and all that thing, that stuff. So um, it's about what you can handle and what you're training for. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it's, it's, it makes more sense to break them apart really. And, and to make sure mm-hmm. that you are just being honest with yourself when it comes to time, because these, right. they're, they're like what I call vanity metrics when it comes to the amount of vertical gain that you're getting or the amount of miles mm-hmm. that you're running. It's just something and, and yeah, it might make you feel good and make you might make you feel more confident, but you nailed it when you said that you might be less likely to do 
the mountains when you want to run 10 miles that day. It's like, well, whatever <laughs> for an hour 20 or for an hour 40, you know, <laughs> and yeah. that totally makes sense. And it's hard to break away from that when, you know, you have this idea when you want to, when you're so focused on a result that you're like, I just want to be able to run to get on the, on a true podium. If I can get 10,000 feet of vertical <laughs> this in a week, like then I should be able to do it. It's like focusing on the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's something that uh, is kind of a struggle for every runner is that, that comparison trap, you know, because uh, what works for one guy isn't going to work for you. And the, you come from different places and, and different, you know, training backgrounds, different histories. Uh, you really got to, uh, and that's why it's helpful to have a coach because um, if you say, oh, I'm going to go train like Killian Jornet, like I promise you, you're going to be, you know, overtrained, fatigued and not racing anywhere near where you want to be. Uh, because most of us just can't handle his his volume and invert and intensity. Um, it, whereas if 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 you really do have the long term goal of you know getting to that higher level, you really need to focus on what's best for you right now in this moment, and to build up to whatever future you know aspirations you have. Um, right, and and like the internal perspective is like, well, if I just trained like this, I would be like him. And that's not the case. Like when you're, right. you don't, you don't have that perspective on yourself sometimes. And it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to get carried away and, and, and just kind of roped into what other people are doing. And that's why things like Strava to me are, are <laughs> more of a detriment to people's training as a whole than, than a benefit. Like, I think it should be fun. And that's it. I don't think it's a platform to learn on. I don't think it's a, oh, no. like, to connect on. I don't think you should even look it into people's splits or anything. Like, <laughs> you should just see it, be like, cool, kudos, or just put your stuff up, get some kudos, and, and be on your way because you really can get tied up in some nasty comparison stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if, if that's something you uh, struggle with, like really try to keep the lar- lighthearted and, and don't don't get too far into that trap. But on on the other hand, if it's it is a cool tool uh, to to, it's almost like a, a really um, an easy like online training log for me. So I, I keep everything on Strava, and I love going back and I can, if I can look at the map and and see what I wrote and how I felt. Like it's 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 awesome to have those memories and also see like the the training log over time, but. Then again, you also don't want to. Uh, you, you shouldn't be out shooting for segments, you know, on a normal training run because that can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm just out for a normal easy distance run, but and oh, but I remember this one segment trying to go all out, you know, during right. random runs. It's not really conducive to to healthy training in the long run. <laughs> or yeah, or something that you did the past time. Yeah, like your segment trying to PR something that doesn't mean anything on that specific run, and you come away like, oh, that was great. I got a uh, my personal <laughs> records. Like that was not the point of what we we're trying to do here. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, I just love, I love the way it's laid out. I love the way it organizes like visually, like it's better than some of the, like I use training peaks for, mm-hmm. uh, to, to put in most of my stuff. And that's really my training log, but the mm-hmm. way things look on Strava and just gives you a good snapshot. Sometimes I'm just like, man, I wish the other thing did this, but I yeah. could deal with that. I could do without the social component. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that is helpful <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> um, but you mentioned the coach. So uh, I know you've been working with the ante and you guys just dropped uh, some mountain training uh, programs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that. What do you got going on? Yeah. So the, we just dropped a trail and mountain, mountain running program. Um, it's uh, kind of the format is, it's kind of like all, if you're familiar with the ante, he does three quality workouts a week. That's uh, all of his subscriptions usually have um, kind of that format. And so with the mountain running program, it's, um, 
it's usually formatted like a something focused on speed, something focused on like your endurance, like tempo, threshold, steady state efforts, and then a, a longer run. And um, and they, uh, w- but part of that component though is that we also have. Um, I try to incorporate running drills and really basic plyometrics into the warm up. And so um, the thing with plyometrics is they're super fun uh, and they've, they've got a lot of benefit. Um, but if you, it's really easy to, to, to go, you know, too much too soon. And so um, if you do jo- join the, the Yancey running program, um, it's not going to be a lot of volume. It's very basic, simple, easy stuff. And we're going to progress over time uh, so that you build up to that level. Um, of, of being able to do some cooler stuff with a little bit more volume, but the focus is very much running. Like the plyometric is uh, just a small component, uh, usually in the warm up, um, that we add in just to build in some of that uh, coordination and agility uh, for our future training runs. Um, but as far as uh, overall coaching goes, um, it's more of a self-directed program. So um, as a personal coach who also does, you know, one-on-one um, personalized coaching. I think that's, uh, if you're really fully invested in, in your training, it's it's usually best to have something that is specifically written for you and your goals, right? Um, and that's that's kind of like the, the best training program you can get. But that's also takes a lot more time and effort on the coach's part. And so um, not everybody wants to pay that much <laughs> for, for a full-time professional coach. Um, and then also some people are, uh, really like kind of directing their own training and having more of the reins on their own training. And so this, uh, the Yancey program kind of fills the gap where it's, um, it's progressive. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, you kind of, uh, over time we go through different training cycles. So it's, it's a little bit better than just like a stock training program because you also have the community and then you also have access to ask or access to the coaches to ask us questions anytime but it kind of feels that in between of uh, between just like a online training plan and the the full-time professional coaching um so right and i used to bang on the drum so hard that you know the best way to do it is to have one-on-one and one-on-one mm-hmm. like you, you won't get the be- best results unless it's one-on-one and like uh, that's what I do so I mean there's <laughs> a little bit of like speaking like hey my product's better but it, it's not for everybody like everybody has different preferences and some people are cool with with something that's online and just taking it and doing it when they want to and, and moving mm-hmm. it in and out of what they feel is going to be helpful for them and some people want just like a little bit of guidance like oh when I do OCR stuff I don't really want to think about it I just want to do this workout that that's going to progress and going to make it better. That's proven something like what you guys got going on Yancey. Then there's other people mm-hmm. who know they need that, like more of that accountability or want that personalized touch or just want to be like cared about a little bit more, but right, right. not everybody does. So yeah. It's, yeah. It's good to have those offerings. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think the cool thing about this program is, it is, um, it is, week to week and we have uh, you have access to a Facebook group. And so um, you, you kind of have like this team aspect. So um, you're not the only one. It's kind of like when you're in college, right? You, you, if you're on a college team, uh, you, every workout is written for, for the team. It's not written for you. Right. But you get, but you have the guys around you that are helping you uh, train hard and you have the community aspect and, and, um, and that, that can be really beneficial in itself. And so, um, yeah, it really is finding about wh- what's best for you, uh, what fits your budget and, and what's going to help you, you know, what's going to make training the most fun. Cause in the long run, uh, the worst training program, uh, just like to say an awfully laid out, program that really isn't written well or thought out well if you're motivated and you you believe in it and you're enjoying it you're gonna have better success than with uh the best 
most personalized approach with, you know, a coach you don't like and workouts you, you hate. <laughs> Dude, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Like the best program in the world won't do anything if you don't do it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a hundred percent like a, and, and, and you, you got to love the process too. <laughs> totally. Um, cool. Awesome. So I definitely check those things out. Um, I'll make sure to link in the show notes and what, what's, where can people find your own, uh, personalized coaching? Yeah, my personalized coaching is uh, through Redox Running, um, and so there's a there's Redox CrossFit here in Anchorage is an amazing gym, and so uh, I kind of teamed up with them to offer the the personalized coaching. And uh, my personalized coaching is is exhibited through an app, so I can do it uh, remotely to anyone wherever they're at, and it's um, and it's personalized to you. But yeah, sign up through Redox Running. Very cool. Um, yeah. So I mean, if we ever get to race again, what what were some of the goals you had this year? What were you thinking? I mean, we did uh jacksonville together um we both missed obstacles and it was a bummer (laughs) but uh yeah you would you you were you were sitting pretty well right and then just straight up missed the bell oh yeah man i i was sitting around 12th place i think with ian hosick and kirk right on the tails of kirk dewin and nick Riker. and uh yeah i got to uh, no issues whatsoever i swinged through the bells this was right near the end of the race and i was feeling great and uh just at the end i don't know if i blinked or or what but i just I, my hand just swung past the bell and i dropped to the ground i was like oh no that's the worst <laughs> I got so yeah so that was i was uh sitting close to a top 10. So for me, my, my big goal for this year was to try to break in the top 10 in the U S series. Um, and for me, I, I think it's most realistic at one of the upcoming mountain races. So I'm, uh, Jacksonville was super fun, but I, I'm really looking forward to like Utah, Tahoe, um, those this year. So, and then as far as long-term, uh, if, um, if they're able to, and everything's working out and everybody's healthy, um, I really have uh, going to try to hit Tahoe hard. And then if I can make the travel to Abu Dhabi, even though that's not necessarily my wheelhouse, it just sounds like a really cool experience. So I was excited for those. That'd be awesome. I I, I don't know what that's going to be like. There was some, there was a CrossFit event that's supposed to take place in uh, Dubai in uh, December and that got canceled already. So mm, yeah. I, I don't know what it's like over there. Uh, I did have, um, I was, there was an athlete I was coaching who was from, uh, United Emirates, uh, and he made it seem like it was pretty bad that, you know, people mm. have taken it pretty serious, but who knows? And I'm not even sure about Tahoe, man. Like California is taking this thing, you know, really seriously and, and rightfully so, but they are they're They've been really, really tight. So I don't know what that's going to be like in terms of events for the entire year. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to schedule out. And as far as like, if you do have, you know, races are really motivating and, and it really help people get excited about training. And so with all these events getting canceled, like people's training is I'm sure with some of my athletes and even myself, uh, sometimes it's just out of whack, not feeling as motivated because you don't have a set goal on the schedule. Uh, so something that I'm trying to do is let's say you have a race coming up that you're not sure is going to happen i would on the same day or, or in a similar time maybe plan some sort of cool project or time trial that you're really excited about um uh, you know on the similar time so if you tra- if i'm training up for you know tahoe and tahoe gets canceled i'm probably going to go do some cool mountain uh time trial route that i'm really excited about just so i still have the motivation and you feel get some sort of set of sense of accomplishment with all the hard work you put in over the next few months right and it kind of circles back to what we talked about in the beginning it's like you, it makes you put you in, makes you put it in perspective as to why you're doing this, and if you really are enjoying the training and enjoying pushing yourself, then like maybe a mountain course will be somewhat as satisfying. Probably not the total because you don't get the community, <laughs> you don't get to see how you're stacking up, but there's still value to be gained 
um, with that. You did the uh, the ORM last time. Yeah, I mean, the twelve hour. It didn't seem like you did it in any in any capacity to to try to win because you did it in the mountains. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was I was. I mean, it's right in the middle of. I was kind of feeling the same thing, just like oh, all the races are canceled. I'm really don't know what to do. And he made that cool 12 hour event. I'd never done anything over, uh, you know, the distance of a Spartan ultra, which is about, you know, five or six hours. And so, uh, but you know, going for max distance on the roads or a pack trail just really didn't sound fun. So it's kind of that same philosophy, like what, what excites you? So for me, I just, I picked a, a route in the mountains, uh, near my house. That was just uh, really fun, really great views, a lot of vert and, uh, I just did that all day and, uh, it was, it was <laughs> super challenging, but beautiful views. And, uh, and I ended up coming out of it, like really, really enjoying it and, and having a cool experience. How much vert did you end up in that uh, 12 hours? <laughs> uh, I think I had about, uh, 16,500 feet Ugh. in the 12 hours. Were you wrecked? <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I mean, obviously like that, that evening after the after that day, I felt awful. Uh, but overall, kind of like recovery wise, in the days after, I I actually think I fared better than the guys you know who went for seventy eighty miles um, <laughs> because I I had you know I the the route I picked was nice steep uphill, so I was power hiking most of that, and then a gradual soft dirt downhill. So I actually think oh. that overall I had had less pounding and more variety, uh, which was which is great. How much recovery were you taking in between? Were you trying to get out as fast as possible or what were you doing? No, uh, I was just every, um, cause you had to log every five miles you right. had to check in on zoom and log your lap. So, um, I was just, uh, the loop I picked was two and a half miles. So I do two loops and then I'd stop for 10 to 15 minutes to fuel up and log my laps and keep out. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't, I wasn't in racing mode, so I wasn't really trying to minimize like my rests and like, dude, I was really just trying to have a fun, healthy day and go all day. So, um, yeah, just short breaks. Um, and, and not, I wasn't trying to, I didn't have any specific strategy. I was just trying to enjoy it and get as much bird as I could. Do you foresee yourself doing something like, uh, uh, ultra world champs or anything? Does that like, did that like spark anything in you? Like maybe it's <laughs> for, uh, 12 more hours. <laughs> so I, I, that's part of the reason why I did it. I wanted to test to see if I enjoyed that type of thing and, uh, and, and if I could even handle it. And uh, it definitely did. Uh, it made me excited about, you know, future ultras. But as far as like my, my focus uh, over the long term, uh, I'm not really going to be doing, jumping into any real ultra training anytime soon. Um, but it also, for me, it has to be like an exciting venue. And so, if, if it were going back, if the 24 hour world champs were going back to Sweden, like I was, I was set on that. Like I was going to go for it this year. And then when they moved that, um, to, to Killington, not a winter course, uh, I don't know about the elevation, but also different timing too. Um, I don't like that it's, you know, before all the big races versus after. Um, so I'm probably not going to jump in this year, but, um, Future years, maybe. I, I, I enjoyed it enough that I, I think I'd, I'd try some 24-hour ultras and stuff in the future. Nice, man. Yeah, and that's what's cool about this time to to do to explore something like that, which you normally wouldn't do. And you can kind of project out what if that's enjoyable and something you're going to do in the future. So that Yeah, sense. no, it's perfect. Honestly, it's perfect timing right now to, to test – just to test your boundaries and see if you like that kind of thing. Because in a year-long training cycle with all the races we have going on, if you're not focused on ultras, it's really hard to fit that in. Uh, so yeah, now's a, a good time. Yeah. Are you going to do the one at the end of the month? 
No, no, <laughs> no, it was, it was super fun, but now I'm focused on, uh, getting back into my kind of normal training groove yeah. and, and another 12 hour ultra doesn't really fit well into that. Totally. It's kind of the same way. I want to be prepared and I, I would do, it would have to be all concrete for me. And I would just like, I don't <laughs> find that fun. I don't think that, I think that would really suck. Um, <laughs> yeah, because hopefully we can get back out there. I don't know. Maybe someday, maybe we can go back to Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah yeah i saw that i i i won't be there uh, i i mean i hope it goes well but uh, i'll be waiting until they kind of figure the the series out yeah. and and also we we are just at jacksonville i think i'm gonna wait until uh either a series race or a cool mountain race that comes up when it, it looks like it's safe to do so yeah and i'm i'm not doing an open an open race um cool man awesome teller well, i appreciate you popping on where can people follow you on socials we got you at redox running i'll make sure to link that in the show notes but where could they find you on social media or anything yeah i'm t ridge runner um fun side note ridge is actually my middle name so i don't know why my parents uh decided to name me that but it seems to <laughs> fit pretty well that's so cool yeah because i was like oh this is a an interesting take on it on the way he likes to run, but that's, that's yeah, super yeah. sweet. Um, yeah. So T Ridge runner. Cool, man. All right. Well, I'm gonna press stop. We'll stay on here for a little bit, but uh, we'll just sign off for now. So I appreciate you popping on. Yeah. Thanks, Rich.